This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We have a wonderful thing about to come up, which was originally, I, I think, your idea. And then Danielle did a huge amount of stuff, which has been great fun to listen to and putting it together with, with the gang. Um, but uh, instead of my rattling on about you, tell me, tell me what, why you came up with this idea, how it fits into what you're doing, um, and, and we'll, then, we'll go to, then we'll go to the panel and start unpacking Algernon, Flowers 4. Yeah, it was, um, it was really a, a concept where um, you could have a sharing of ideas uh, uh, with a simple platform, you know, just by having a book club. And uh, it was one of the kind of the few things that probably was able to prosper with COVID because the media and the approach to it through Zoom worked very well. Yeah, uh, I was fortunate that Danielle uh, would be in the living room and, and uh, working with everybody else. So uh, I got to participate and listen and uh, really was amazed at the level of discussion and content. And uh, it was unimaginable to me um, uh, just bringing things out in, in stories that I've also read um, that I was really not aware of or, or didn't uh, see or approach it that way. So uh, that was really kind of the concept. And then with regard to this meeting, I thought it was such a fantastic component of autism tree that uh, that's why I, I really wanted to have uh, basically one of these sessions uh, uh, portrayed, if you will, via Zoom. Good. Great. So um, do you want to explain how you got the panel together? And, and uh, uh, the, the original suge the suggestion of which book it was, i.e. Uh, Flowers for Algernon, came from Alison Mortry, I think, right? That's true. I actually wanted something by Steinbeck, but then Otto told me I was simple. Uh-huh. Okay. What did you want by Steinbeck, by the way? Uh, Cannery Row, just because that's where I grew up. Okay. Well, that's, that's got a lot of um, really good connections to here. <coughs> the character in Cannery Row that he, that he modeled it on was, in fact, a scientist who... Um, and with him, they 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 took the the boat and they, they did the Sea of Cortez, um, which ended up being connected with Scripps Institution of Oceanography. So that would have been very cool. We'll do that another time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you are you going to hand it over to Danielle at this point, or do you want to introduce? Uh, I was just going to introduce the three panels very quickly yes. and then hand it over. Great, thank you. So once again, Dr. Motri really picked a fantastic book. What I did is I took some of statements uh, from the three individuals and, and kind of put it in a, um, a format, if you will, that it, it made a great deal of sense to me. Uh, and from Otto, don't fear the science, don't fear the numbers, don't fear the different, run into the light, get out of the shadows, let your voices be heard. From Isabella, I dream of life not being a slow struggle having to fight for basic human rights becomes dehumanizing. And lastly, William, giving me the same opportunities as everyone else is something I want to say loudly. And I think these are all very important and, and will give you a sense of the approach uh, to this book. 
And with that, I will pass it over to Danielle. So this is kind of just, um, we're going to go over um, flowers for Algernon. Um, and I guess we're just going to do it the way that we have doing it for the last year or so, where um, we just go through the book and talk about it. And um, this time our typers um, also prepared their own answers ahead of time. Usually we would have kind of an active discussion, um, but just for the sake of the panel, we um, prepared stuff. And um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to share this with you guys. And I'm excited for all of these ideas to out and for a lot of thinking to be done. Um, so what is this book about? I took this from the back of my copy. Um, so Charlie Gwynn is about to embark upon an unprecedented journey. Um, he was born with an unusually low IQ. He has been chosen as the perfect subject for an experimental surgery that researchers hope will increase his intelligence, a procedure that has already been highly successful when tested on a lab mouse named Algernon. As the treatment takes effect, Charlie's intelligence expands and passes that of the doctors who engineered his metamorphosis. The experiment appears to be a scientific breakthrough on importance until on suddenly deteriorates. Will the same happen to Charlie? And I included a bit about Daniel Keyes. Um, he was actually someone that was expected by his family members to go into medicine. Um, but he felt quite ostracized by this expectation. Um, and I think Flowers Algernon largely comes out of that experience that he had. Um, I think he went into going into teaching and he received his master's in English and he had a lot of experiences um, with children and with young adults. Um, and he wanted to help these people. Um, and so I think that Charlie Gordon is a mix of himself and the people that he encountered um, during his studies of English and during his teaching. Um, and this book also science fiction. So it explores kind of an actual procedure that the researchers invented that literally changes Charlie physically. And then I think that Daniel Keyes was also interested in Aristotle. And so he wanted to kind of explore the development of a character. So you have kind of like this character arc and um, this experience that a character has from the beginning to the end. Um, so he was also like from the perspective of the structure of the book, interested in the ideas and, and the content of the story, obviously. Um, and then I thought this was kind of funny. The name Algernon is actually named after Algernon Swinburne. Um, and I believe that he was a poet. Um, Keyes thought that it was an unusual name. And I believe that it means someone with a mustache. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I, I actually quite like the name. So now we have our characters. So Charlie Gordon is the main character that narrates the entire story. His narration is delivered in the form of scientific notes that are required of him by the researchers, researchers um, so that his progress may be closely monitored. So essentially after Charlie gets the procedure, um, the researchers want to compare how he is before and after. And the entirety of the book is um, are is consisting of these narrations with dates um, ends um, with narration and begins with narration. There's no outside perspective. He is 32 years old at the time, um, and he has worked at Donner's Bakery for 17 years. He is estranged from his parents and has little memory of them. 
Alice Kinnian is his teacher that he is very close to um, at the Beekman School, which is also funded by the research lab. And she eventually becomes a love interest of his. She is someone very important to Charlie and um, is present throughout the entire book. Algernon is the mouse that preceded Charlie in the procedure. Um, and he is one that the scientists um, used in order to determine whether or not to do the procedure on a human, which Charlie was the first human. Uh, Professor Niemer and Dr. Strauss are the researchers that uh, Charlie once looked up to. And as he changes, he starts to become disillusioned with maybe some of the practices that are going on and, and the way that they view um, his metamorphosis. And I think that this is a very important part of the book and these characters are centered on this. Towards the middle of the book, maybe like the, the first third, um, we begin to discover Matt Rose and Norma Gordon. Uh, this is Charlie's family that he didn't remember before, but as he changes, he starts to unearth these repressed um, subconscious memories of them. He had a very difficult relationship with his mother. Um, his mother denied him and I think was really intimidated by his disability. And his father was uh, much more supportive of him as he was and had a more positive relationship with Charlie. His sister, I think, had a hard time with her her older brother and then they eventually be reunited with her and she doesn't really remember a lot of the treatment but it's still a very strained relationship and I think that Charlie really struggles with just the way that he was treated and um, the way he was viewed and so this is a very difficult family relationship for him. So what is the implication of this book? Um, this book is very powerful and it's very difficult um, and there was a few times where I became emotional reading it um, but I think um, even though um, kind of a, maybe a few decades ago, I think that it, it still can be used a, albeit in our, in our modern perspective, hopefully. So as Charlie comes progressively smarter after his procedure, he vividly recalls memories that were previously submerged and inaccessible. Charlie begins to realize that he has been traumatized and dehumanized for his entire life. The original Charlie did not recognize that he was being made fun of or abused. He struggles to come to terms with the reality that most of the people around him did not consider him a human being until after he was created by his procedure. He is especially angry with the researchers for this. Charlie's disillusioned by the Sixth Society. He struggles to briefly, briefly contribute to the research while he is a genius. And this is the specific phrase that the author uses. I think he was interested in this concept. Um, but self-isolates as he remembers more and more about his past. He is forced to repeatedly reiterate that he was a human before the procedure, that he was deserving of a life just as equally. Through the character Charlie, Daniel Keyes emphasizes that society requires typical ability as a means of receiving humane treatment. There is a perverse lack of understanding that a person is a human being irrespective of their mode of communication or depth of understanding. So I think this was my takeaway is that the author was emphasizing that Charlie was arguing repeatedly with people that he was a human being who felt and who contributed before this procedure. The researchers uh, very much emphasized that he was created after it and Charlie was extremely, um, I guess, just disillusioned or not very happy with this statement. And I think that it was very difficult for him 
which is why he started isolating towards the end of the story and didn't want to let anyone in. So throughout the book, there's something really interesting where when Charlie reaches the peak of what of the procedure's effects, he starts seeing his old self. And I've read a few books where the double is explored. I know that Otto is a fan of Dostoevsky. And I know that uh, Dostoevsky, Freud, and a few other authors explore the idea of the double as someone that um, reflects who we are. It's literally ourselves and we see them. So this was very interesting to me. So the old Charlie often stops the new Charlie from doing things he was traumatized against, particularly romantic relationships. His his mother inadequately um, taught Charlie about romantic relationships and and made him fear them, uh, possibly out of her own fear. So this old Charlie is someone that actually is really admired by everyone. Everyone starts to miss him. And this old Charlie frequently is seen almost, I want to say judging, but he looks at the new Charlie from the mirror and the new Charlie actually yells at him and tells him to leave him alone. And Alice actually comments on how the old Charlie was so empathetic and understanding and just had this motivation and this, this desire to live that the, the new Charlie is slowly losing. So I think that this is a really interesting point of the book. And I think that the author deliberately puts this in because I think that he wants us to understand that while the new Charlie may have a nuance associated with mathematics, whatever, the old Charlie has an extraordinary nuance when it comes to empathy and understanding people and having this motivation that can't be beat. Um, so this was a very important concept for me. And I think that he, the way the symbols represented is through the double. So just really quickly, um, Daniel Keyes emphasizes that the Charlie before the procedure was someone the new Charlie and perhaps all readers should learn from. The old Charlie was an example of empathy and compassion and acted as a role model in his otherwise cruel environment. So metaphors and important of the maze. So the maze is a metaphor for our lives. Um, and I think that Charlie discovers that he's never going to have the answer of what the meaning is or what necessarily comes at the end, but it's an active process, um, which is a very profound metaphor. And I think that we can probably all relate to this because I think many of us feel like we are in a maze. Um, like I talked about before, there's the double. So Charlie actually talks with old Charlie and he tells him to leave him alone and stop judging him. And he says that he knows that he thinks that he's become an arrogant, self-centered bastard. And um, I think that the new Charlie realizes the extraordinary gift that the old Charlie had in, in being able to maintain his disposition when it came to kindness. Um, then there's the soul versus biology. I thought this was a really cool quote. I'll just read it really quick. Upward moving like a leaf in an upcurrent of warm air, speeding the atoms of my body hurtling away from each other. I grow lighter, less dense and larger, larger, exploding outward towards the sun. I'm an expanding universe swimming upward in a silent sea. So then the new Charlie is starting to, and I think this is a science fiction component of the book, his procedure is transcending him into this place that is very mysterious. And he's starting to feel himself almost breach the top of whatever it is. Um, 
that his mind has been inhibited by. Um, so he's having a very spiritual experience during one of his therapy sessions, and he doesn't know if it's a hallucination. So these are my final thoughts. And when you read something like this, it can be really intimidating to think, okay, what's the toy? Just because there's a lot of things to think about. Um, so Charlie was alive during a time where his IQ defined his personhood. We also know now, or at least starting to know, that the IQ test is a narrow construct that tests the ability of a person to answer to a specific type of intelligence, and it fails to test for different types. I think that the author recognized this because we frequently read scenes where the old Charlie is disappointed in the new Charlie's lack of empathy and kindness. The new Charlie could not achieve the same kindness and endurance in his motivation like the old Charlie. The old Charlie's emotional intelligence is something to consider. Charlie was, was valuable before his procedure. He was a motivated assistant in the bakery and sought to be kind to others. While the new Charlie was able to access the nuances of mathematics, he could not quite reach the level of empathy that the old Charlie did. You could argue that the old Charlie's capacity to forgive and see good for others is one of the most important talents we could ever hope to achieve. So that was my takeaway. Um, I think that the author sounds like a very cool guy and very empathetic, and um, it sounds like he was a big reader. And I think that um, when you start to experience a lot of different people in, in the humanities, whatever, maybe you start to realize that there are a vast number of intelligences beyond just, um, you know, whether it's math, biology. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can express ourselves. And I think that this is a really good thing to consider because if we access all of these types of intelligences, I think that we could discover even more and do even more great things. And I think that we have access to so many people that can contribute so much to each other. So um, really cool book overall. So then now we have our discussion questions and um, our typers have some answers that I think will be really cool. What is the role of biology when it comes to IQ? What is the role of this role, the personality or the individual? Are they the same or different? Now, one measure of intellect as a way of determining accountability for placing value on a person's life should be used. The study of biology looks at all living organisms. We all have a purpose that deserves humanity and respect. I'd say biology is not the only factor that influences us to learn or want to learn. IQ tests are meaningless numbers. Having a neurology difference should not determine our humanness. Biology is not our heart or soul and has little to do in regards to our worth as a person. In my view, the qualities that matter are not measured by IQ scores. We'll go on to Otto next, but I just, um, I think that these are really cool answers and that um, all living organisms, especially when I'm looking at that. Um, I remember I went diving one time and I got to dive with these little um, I forgot that they're called their little octopi. It's not a nautilus, but they express themselves with chromatophores. So if they're angry at you, they get red. And so it's like, if we're a, um, I guess a smart, um, octopus, I really don't remember the name of it. Then we can turn red really well, or maybe if we're different, we turn pink, but, um, I think we would still all agree that that organism has life and has perspective and 
navigates its environment and so itself is the intelligence. And then here's Otto. The question is intelligence based on a random genetic code or do experiences enhance your knowledge base which in turn translates to correct questions on an exam. Since we cannot separate ourselves from our genes, the world may never know. I personally believe it's a combination. Biology is the study of living organisms, of life. Life is the whole package. What is the role of the soul, personality, individual? This is asking about humanity, I believe. Where does the individual and the intangibles account for in the concept of intelligence? There are so many facets to the human condition. We are all multifaceted diamonds in our own right. We all shine bright in the right light. Are they the same or different? Yes. Tomato. Tomato. They are the same and different at the same time. It's the same object, the same molecular structure, occupying the same space. The only difference is perception. I just think that this answer is really amazing too because I agree that we are all multifaceted and there are infinitely um, or there are so many ways that people can express or uh, demonstrate that they have some perspective that is valuable to us. Um, and I think that in Charlie's case, his perspective of kindness and empathy was extremely valuable. Um and I think that that was something that needed to be taught to his new self. And then what is the importance of IQ? Are there some circumstances in which IQ is more important than in others or even less important? And then here's Otto's answer. It is a social construct used to discriminate just like on the basis of race, gender, or sexual orientation. IQ is never important. Equality is humanity. I cannot imagine a scenario where IQ should matter. Healthcare, housing, education, employment should be available to everyone regardless of IQ. And then we have Isabella's answer. Actually, it isn't. Why does a number matter? Let's imagine that disabled people have lower IQ, so then we presume their incompetence and segregate them. Oh, wait. This is our reality. Assuming we all are worthy of all life has to offer is the most humane way to think. This makes for an inclusive environment where differences are not judged. So in these two answers, um, I think the really important thing that I'm seeing is that um, we have constructs that we've created that make us assume that someone is worthy of one thing or the other. And I think that expanding our thinking beyond things like that will really help us to improve and to understand that um, this is not the right way to think. So, for example, Otto was talking about how um, everyone deserves healthcare, housing, education, employment, um, irrespective of IQ, irrespective of any type of perceived deficit. Um, and I also really like Isabella's answers where um, kind of this natural segregation occurs where we have this construct that's been created and it results in us perceiving difference. Where, whereas I think 
that we could really connect with each other and feel more of a bond to our peers if we realize that many of our differences are actually commonalities. So I think that this was something we saw with Charlie, where he, despite being perceived as someone with a difference and with a deficit, many people actually felt very um, as if they were in a community with him. So even though some of the people at the bakery bullied him and, and segregated him because of his difference, they actually started to miss him as he changed because they realized that they depended on this nice person who served as this epitome of kindness and empathy. Um, I think that they realized that they relationship up and they um, regretted it. So I think that was a really important part of the book. And then here's William's answer. The saying an IQ is relevant to once importance is wrong. We are all humans. Do you think someone with a high or low IQ is any more or less deserving of getting to experience a life without a world seeing them as humans first? Let's look at the pandemic this past year. Lives across the world were lost. All of them were deserving of care, love and dignity as they left this earth. It did not matter what their IQ was. Each life was a story to tell. So I really like that the way that William tied the pandemic um, into his answer, just because we experienced something very novel this year. Um, it was very different experience for probably all of us. And I think it probably made a lot of people think about what it means to check in on each other, what it means to reach out to someone if they're feeling isolated, what it means to show other people dignity and respect by maybe respecting rules and society, things that we need to do to make sure that we are respecting each other's space during something like this. Um, and I think that that type of respect in itself is a demonstration of a huge amount of intelligence and that has not really anything to do with the test necessarily. So um, that is one way that we can, we can imagine that um, there is an emotional intelligence there. And then if everyone were given the exact same biological capacity to learn, would IQ be relevant? Would individuals differ based on who they are? Why or why not? We have Isabella's answer first. Let's assume we all are worthy of access. What does biological capacity to learn mean? Learning is a multimodality endeavor. I think about the ability to demonstrate what was learned. This ability to recite a set of facts or mimic a physical gesture such as clap hands constitutes the ability to learn. If you are apraxic, you are limited in your ability to recite facts or mimic gestures, so you are deemed unable to learn. When you discover new or novel concepts, that is remarkable, but sometimes not considered learning. We are all unique individuals, each with a very particular set of skills. Thank you, Liam Neeson. <laughs> We're all important, or valuable, and all worthy. And I think Otto makes a very good point here where a lot of these tests um, that we see are actually geared towards very uh, specific types of ability and they don't really measure very well um, thoughts or just different types of intelligence because they 
are geared towards abil one ability versus another, um, which I was surprised to learn about. And you would think that people would think about that more, but um, I think that it is important to reiterate that there are different ways of expression and there are different ways of thinking and to have something like IQ or just, you know, the thing that Charlie was inhibited by, um, the assumption that people made because of his inability to express himself in the way they wanted to, um, I think just inhibits us in general. So I think that Otto makes a very good point here where we have to consider the different expressions of ability and how we can kind of maneuver discovering those things. And then here's William's answer. I am thinking that we are all capable of learning. Why must there be capacities? IQ is a made up norm for a chance to test a person's response to expected answers without always seeing the whole person for the type of learner they are. Do you think it is fair having a person with autism and apraxia take a test that measures intelligence through a series of motor movements with a working sensory system? We should be looking at how we can support learning and assume someone is capable when given the accommodations they need. So I, I really, really like the last sentence of this, which says we should be looking at how we can support learning and assume someone is capable when the accommodations they need. So this is, I think, a great way to start thinking about these things, because I think that there are different ways that we can leash someone's ability and different ways that, that we can make everyone part of our team. And I think that that is a much better way to live our lives than what Charlie had to go through, which he was just assumed to be relevant and not someone who was important when in fact he was important to everyone. And I think at the end of the book, when Alice realizes that she's going to lose Charlie, um, she can barely herself and is sobbing and she actually says that she never wants to see him again because she couldn't take it so that's an incredible impact and I think that the idea of inclusion will benefit us all and then this is something that Charlie was known for was his motivation what does motivation have to do with this all? What about empathy or compassion or kindness? What about the qualities of the opposite kind, such as arrogance, indifference, and cruelty? Here's, here's Otto's answer first. Motivation is the fuel, but sometimes we show up at the gas station and the pump is broken. Or, if I am on the launch pad, ready for my moonshot, and someone fills my fuel tank with gas from Marco instead of... NASA grade rocket fuel. We are going nowhere fast. I'm just saying these are all important tools in the toolbox, but if someone hands me a screwdriver to drive in a nail, it's not going to work. I believe these are due to fear and ignorance. I think if we take the time to educate, enlighten, and illuminate the dark corners of society, these things will disappear. Once society stops fearing the other, the different, we will be compassionate, engaging, and tolerant. Illuminate the dark corners of society is a very evocative image, and I absolutely love that. 
Um, and I think that's very true. I think that these things do have everything to do with fear. As we saw with Charlie's mom who denied him, I think that she was afraid of being um, turned away from her peers, of being denied, um, of being accepted. And unfortunately that fell on her son. We have Isabella's answer. I often am motivated to apply myself, but then my sensory and motor challenges impact my effort. We all are vulnerable to negative forces, even if we have good intentions. Are we as a society able to support others in a time of need? Many people suffer from character flaws. Learning to be a better person is always possible. Had Charlie's mom, for example, received support and education, perhaps she could have helped her behaviour towards Charlie. So I think Isabella is exactly right when it comes to Charlie's mom. I agree with her. Um, I think that if she had received the proper support and education, that her behavior towards Charlie would have improved and that would have improved two generations, um, two lifetimes. And so I think we're very lucky now that we have the capacity com to communicate with one another and to understand that it is good to support each other and, and offer understanding and compassion because it can actually save people a lifetime of struggle and um, just kind of regret, which I think that his mom experienced because she almost had this strange onset of dementia, which I think had to do with her stress based on how she treated her son. And then we have William's answer. The presumption of competence allows my putting thoughts to words to occur. When someone presumes in me, there is an understanding that in thinking I am capable, my thoughts are worthy. Then and only then will my body be ready to put forth the energy to type. How can one on the trial seat not feel tested when someone has already decided their fate? Presuming competence means that a partner trusts in me and my learning can begin. I must also presume the partner is able to teach in a sometimes challenged way. There is nothing worse than being someone who is not valued or understood. Can't we all put more energy into being kind and believing in one another? Right. So I really, this sentence stood out to me, presuming competence means that a partner trusts in me and my learning can begin. So if we teach ourselves how to unleash the abilities of others around us, we are able to expose ourselves to so many more talents and abilities that um, can benefit us. And I really like the way that William put that. So this is something I thought was interesting, and it's a final note about what we can do. So in this story, it is verified that Charlie suffered from uh, phenylketonuria, also called PKU. It is an autosomal recessive inherited disorder that causes the buildup of phenylalanine in the blood. This is due to an enzyme deficiency and can result in severe, severe intellectual disability unless foods high in phenylalanine are avoided, proteins, artificial sweeteners. Um, so this was being explored in the 1930s, and I think they started to understand um, how to help people with PKU. So this is something I wanted to put in here because it has not even been 100 years since we have discovered what this is and helped people with it. Um, 
So science is very cool and we can help each other out and donating to organizations like ATPF stimulates collaboration and discovery, such as what is going on right now. I think that collaboration is the thing that we need to do in order to help each other out and make this already very difficult world we live in a little bit easier. So I just wanted to put this in there because I thought it was really interesting. I've learned about it in my studies myself very recently. Um, and supporting organizations like this is something that we need to do in order to bring people like typers together um, so that they can contribute to what we know and what we understand and ultimately make things better for everyone. And then here are some pictures that I really liked. Um, my copy of the book looks like the top left. And then I think down on the, the bottom right, they're playing with Algernon. And then the, the bottom left is the author, Daniel. So I guess if anyone wanted to make any comments or um, just last thoughts. That was um, a wonderful presentation. It was amazing. It was quite amazing. Um, I would recommend one thing, one thing only, because I think it will enrich things slightly. Um, you probably know about this anyway. There is a book called Algernon, Charlie and I. Oh. There you go. See. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm going to check that out. Well, you should check it out. It actually has the original script in there. Original. Um, it's probably good that you did this before you saw this. But it mm -hmm. has the original novelette at the back. Okay. Is, is Dan writing about this book. But what's interesting is the, is the science, again, the afterword has got in it here um, stuff about memory. He, he quotes um, Nature Journal, a, a piece on genetic enhancement of learning and memory in mice by J Joe Chen. Um, then there's another comment from um, Eric Kandel at Columbia. Um, mm. Chuck Stevens at the Salk Institute. Uh, Alcino Silva, who's who's, still, who's now writing for Forbes magazine on these kind of topics. So he, he spoke to all the right people. And, and, and this was sort of way after the, the whole thing had been written to see whether, uh, in fact, the, his, his science fiction was turning into some kind of a reality. But you'll wow. enjoy it because you'll find there that the opening passages were, you know, working in the in the in the uh, uh, in the kitchen and so on and so forth. Those are things he did. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. Yes. Um, but as I said, it's, I think you did an extraordinary job of putting it together. And the comments from, 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 uh, were from Bella, Otto, um, uh, and William were, were just, uh, as you said, uh, just quite extraordinary. Yes. I think this could, could give you a good sense of all of these uh, meetings go, and I would invite anybody uh, to either watch or participate uh, because it's refreshing and it's uh, it's just amazing um, the approach and vision of these youngsters, uh, and I think it's just a rewarding experience. Uh, I believe the times and dates and such uh, and the books uh, are posted on the ATPF website. And I would take advantage of it. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.